Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. This is the Zookeeper podcast where we take you behind the scenes talking to professionals in the industry about their stories, words of wisdom and journey so far to get to where they are today, really showing you what it takes to be a zookeeper. All views throughout the podcast shared are of those speaking alone and in no way reflect the collections they work for. So please come along for the journey, enjoy the ride and thank you for listening. Hello and welcome to Zookeeping 101. My name's James Dennis, I'm your presenter, and today we're talking all about various taxonomic groups within the industry, and I couldn't think of anyone better to speak to than Josh McGowan. Welcome, Josh, to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. No, really, really great to have you on. Now, if you want to introduce to all our lovely listeners exactly who you are, where you come from, and what title you hold. My name is Josh McGowan, and I currently work at the Lake District Wildlife Park in Cumbria. And I am a section keeper on the park. Absolutely amazing. Now, obviously, that's a, a nice higher one in the country. Obviously, I'm sure you've got that journey behind how you got there, how you've progressed throughout this industry. Do you have them, Josh? Do you have those stepping stones, those life moments from those early days of you getting to know animals all the way through to, to today? Yeah, absolutely. Animals have always been a part of me. I guess it starts off at the point where at school, I didn't want to be in and learning and it was quite difficult at times because you want to be outside and that's the point where it started from because I always wanted to be outside looking at things didn't do great in school I managed to scrape through and just looking forward to going to college and that's at the point where it was animal management so that's the baseline for me just trying to get through to college and to, to get to the point where you could actually learn about animals because how cool is that like looking at, at animals day in day out when you're used to just being in school looking at school books. That was a, a great stepping stone. That was the first stepping stone for me. Being at college, was able to do things with other collections, being in parks and things. Being at 16 to 18 years old, there's all the potential of stuff that you could do. And I, I still wanted to be a zookeeper. However, I started out going to the RSPB and that started before I went to college. Throughout most of my teenage years, the whole span of that time was being with the RSPB, volunteering, getting work experience. And that was with the reserve, which is near to me. And it is quite close to me because it's the uh, RSPB salt home. And that reserve opened quite early in my teenagers. So I grew up with it. And it taught me a lot about being in a team of people that weren't just teenagers who weren't the same age as me. So it gave me the skills being able to be around people that were different ages, learn about animals outside. And for a little while, I thought, hang on, maybe I'll switch and not go into zoos. I like the look of this. So it did stick with me. But I, I, through college, I decided to carry on. And uh, I, I happened to end up going to university. Again, I didn't think I'd be a university student. I wasn't too keen on doing more study work. But it opened up opportunities. So I did some time with Flamingoland and I did some time with the uh, Lakeland Wildlife Oasis and both of them helped me to develop and understand what zoos actually do because when you're a guest and you're on that side of things you don't always get to know it whereas when you're behind the scenes you can see a little bit more and pick up things so those points really were quite useful to me because it allowed me then to get into it and once it's started like the little seeds grew and uh, I got more and more involved in that. But I also, whilst I was at university, I spent some time down at Longleat and 
that was where me and uh, yourself met and we became good friends at window washing competitions or whatever, that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, we, we at Longleat, we did, I did become part of a team there. And once I'd finished university, I decided to come back and work there for a little while, working with some really cool animals, getting to know things like the anteaters, the aardvarks, coming over to see other species, which maybe I hadn't seen before and became a good part in that team. I feel that in, in and around like yourself. So being quite new out of university, I did feel like I did want to get some more experience and I moved on. And that's where I happen to be now at the Lake District Wildlife Park. So when I came up, it is a place in amongst the fells and all that time up here, um, I've been getting to grips with how things function and being a park-wide environment and not just being in, in one section every single day, getting to know the facts that the animals up here are used to certain conditions or used to certain routines that I hadn't seen before. And that, that the place itself being up in the, the north of England, in and amongst the fells, it does get all the weathers as well. So you have to adapt yourself as a keeper up here. Being part of, of the team we are now, we've had red crown crane chick this year, we've had grey crown crane chick this year. And that has given me a chance then to really pick up on bird breeding. And it's really uh, be, been quite a, a different set of animals for me because I didn't tend to know a lot more outside of mammals. I, I would say I'm more of a mammals person. And now I can work with birds, reptiles, mammals, more comfortable with us. And it is something where it's such a, a big wide tack. So there's always something that's going to happen and you want to know more. So... Being at the place I am now, we've got two triple SI sites that we look after and it's allowed me to do more in the native species. So all the stuff which I was doing with the RSPB in that time that I enjoyed with them, it really sort of allowed me to flourish a bit more. And uh, that's where I'm at now. I'm looking after certain areas where we've got farm stock. We're looking after some of the, the, the nature on the site as well hoping to expand what's here and um, data logging, getting some insight into what's currently here, what we can do to make it better. What's the management plan of what's going on around with the native species. I have all that knowledge and I have that experience, which has been very useful knowing your toxic plants, knowing how certain habitats function and um, trying to involve that in the work that we do now. So where we are in the, the Lake District is a national park. It has got the triple SI sites. So what we do with our species in their enclosures might also be important to the outside world with the wildlife that's there. Although I have very, very rarely mentioned anything about my section of animals yet, that, that's just one side of it. So on the zoo, we've, we are a smaller collection, um, but because of that, it means then we have the chance to go around the whole area of the park. So at the minute, I'm a section keeper, but I cover anything from primates cats through to the reptiles um so it's a big range of things so obviously you told me about your whole story you've told me about your, your journey but for most of us you know we've all got a slightly different starting point and what i mean by that is not in the industry but with animals at what age did you truly engage with animals where did it all truly begin for josh mcgowan like what's your true starting point i went to 
zoos from the age of about six where I remember it. I've got photographs of me being at, at some of the zoos like Flamingoland and, and Leicester Zoo. And they're key moments, really. I look at them and go, that's where it started. So I saw the fact that Smarts and Tigers being extinct by the year 2020. And at that time, I thought, that is a long time because I was only six. I was like, that's years away, but that's awful. And that was probably the key moment for me with conservation, being six years old. I know it's really early, but actually it did play a big part in my life. School, I always wanted to be outside. Um, but my mom actually got me to go to work experience at a zoo and I thought, how cool was that at 15, being able to go to a zoo and not anybody else in the school. So when I came back, everybody was interested to know what I'd been up to. So at Flamingoland, I had the chance to meet some of the big animals that I hadn't been that close to before. And that was like the first chance for me to be able to get up close and personal with them and just see what amazing creatures they were, creatures that were huge, like rhinos and giraffes, but also like some of the macaws and things that were a bit smaller, but more closely to what I was liking. So your lemurs, your otters and, and tapirs and things like that. But then moving on from Flamingoland to the Lakeland Wildlife Oasis, they were very kind to me. They gave me a chance to explore being a volunteer. I moved on to being a, a keeper there. Very short period of time, but that just gave me my first chance then to do that. They were very kind to me, showing me more, explaining things to me. And especially because I, I didn't know a great deal just coming out of college and through university. They gave me a chance to do things there, which um, I hadn't done before. Learned a lot about zookeeping through the Lakeland Wildlife Oasis and the creatures that they have there, you don't see everywhere else. And at the time it was going through a transition. So moving on from their old spec of enclosures into the new spec and getting to know the team and, a bunch of friends and a bunch of people there who are very dedicated at what they do. Absolutely amazing. And before we push on straight away, I'm going to ask you a curveball question, Josh. And that is, you know, you're a very well-traveled keeper. You've been been all around the country from all the way down in Wiltshire, all to the, the highs of the northern realm. With all of that, for anyone who's listening who, you know, whether it's their first move away from home or simply moving from a collection from the north to the south, what advice would you give them? Firstly, there is a lot of costs involved and that has been a, a big player in whatever I've done. I've had to make sure I've been able to work beforehand. I took jobs being a cleaner and I took jobs gardening and they were just things which kept me ticking over being able to move around the country. At first, when I was I was 18, when I left home, it was a little bit uneasy at first. I wasn't sure about it. You do get used to it. And as long as you get engrossed in doing things and not too engrossed, because then it becomes nothing more that you're doing. But as long as you are involved with it and you're enjoying it, then it makes it worthwhile. I would say also probably trying not to isolate yourself because it can be difficult once you're down in a place you don't know. You need to get involved and do something else. It doesn't matter if it's with people you work with or if it's a group outside. But I personally, I, I go running, I go walking. So whenever I go out and, and go to a new place, I take that with me and I do it. It is so helpful. I wouldn't say there's a great deal of difference between being in the north and the south. There's not not a lot there in it. You you do make your friends, you do learn about things, you've got like nice different cultures, different things to look forward to. And um obviously where we are now, uh, it's quite wet. 
so as long as you're you're prepared for different conditions you, you are okay and you will survive it take it in your stride absolutely absolutely some really great stuff now obviously this whole episode is about taxonomic groups and josh we're going to chuck you straight in what sort of taxa would you say you're linked to as a keeper we've alluded to it already and i guess from that why would you encourage anyone listening to work with the taxa you do i work with mammals and i would say i'm a mammals keeper but then I'm not a mammal's keeper because I work with birds, I work with reptiles, I work with other things. So it's just becomes all animals that are just as interesting. But I would say mammals to me are more relatable. I enjoy the fact that that they are intelligent, they are a resilient bunch. And obviously there's certain species which really stick with you. I like small carnivores. They're quite elusive sometimes, misunderstood. But a lot of people just underestimate them. I like small mammals and small carnivores, and that, that is where my interest is with things like otters. They, they are just fun, and with their energy they've got throughout the day, I can resemble to that. Uh, they can be quite mischievous, and I like that about them. Absolutely. Some really, really great stuff. Now, obviously, with any taxa, enrichment is is the fun bit of zookeeping. It's the part we all enjoy and with enrichment, it's a big part of our animals' lives. Now, each taxonomic group has its own, I guess, uh, struggles with making it to delivering it and so on. With the taxa you've got and the, the enrichment you give them, do you have anything that you've learned along the way? Any quirky little tricks of the trade, I guess you could argue, that you've built or come across that really stimulate your animal to get that natural response that we're after? Well, I'd say... If you get a chance to plan something beforehand, then that that's the best way to go about it. Because I do throw like the occasional thing where it's like last minute. I, I'm going to give them this now, and that that's fine. You can just do it with with something like a bag and offer it to them. But trying to plan a bit more in advance, do a drawing, write down something simple, and then it just helps you out. So I like to have like if I get a spare bit of time in the day, I know I've already got this plan of something, so I can make it. I can put it aside, whether that's like a wooden box or it's just getting the materials gathered up for like the next couple of days ahead. If you've planned ahead, then it works way better. My favourite types of enrichment are going to be things that you can do with your mammals. It's going to be stuff that allows them to be rooting around, digging, looking for stuff. So they're getting involved in the ground or whether that be a small sandbox, a, a leaf litter in amongst other things or a water ball, trying to bury something in the soil. But I like to make the animals work in a way which is natural to them. And sometimes you know that you've put a lot of thought into it and it's not going to work out because you see the results and you go, okay, well, this hasn't worked now, so I can improve on that next time. But if you've got your plan in place, that's where it all starts from. I'm quite known for having my plans and getting things ready beforehand. So I've got a list of stuff and drawings in a book somewhere. And that can be just stuff really simple but as long as you've got it in advance then you could get another person to help you out or a student to do it but when you haven't got the time to be able to be there to do it it can be still carried on absolutely absolutely and obviously you're saying you're you're planning ahead and so on that comes with enclosure design as well you know we enrichment's one thing but if we can install it already into our enclosures to create that natural stimulation then it's one thing better with enclosure design with any certain species that you've come across or any of your taxa overall is there any certain part of an enclosure design which you you've come across where you're going that is essential that is what's needed within my certain animals enclosure to make it work whether it be training husbandry welfare you name it what what have you got for us josh there's a few points and 
and different ways to design it. I feel like the first one I'll go over is having the enclosure set up for your animal in, in the enclosure design from the outside of it. Because if you're not going in with your animal or you can't get into them, whether they're off contact or you need to be able to have them in a space that you can get them in a crate, that for me is really important. So lots of enclosures don't currently have this. And maybe if they're old fashioned or they're out of date now, they wouldn't have it because they're, they're not built like that. But having a space where you can have your slider or you can have your crate attached to the side or you can do your training in a box. That for me is so important because it just frees up so much more time in the long run of things. And it's going to obviously help out your animals way better. That for me is missing in a lot of enclosures and it should be in and amongst there with what we're doing. Um, certainly as you move on to the bigger animals you know there's easier ways to deal with stuff instead of just having your cation and your darting and, and that crate is there it's very useful at the moment a lot of the animals that I work with they either have prototypes or they don't have them and we're working to put that in place so that we can in the future we can do a lot more with them care for them and training as well but the other point I was going to talk about was for me, I find really interesting, again, because of my background with liking all things natural, is the planting. So within the enclosure, you've got a space that if you can adapt and change it, plants just really do that in a season. So it's not going to cost you a lot. If you can have a simple plant in the enclosure that isn't going to be destroyed, it will take time to get that plant because the animals are going to inevitably work their way around it, test it out, eat it, throw it about. So you don't always get it first time. But when you've done a little bit of working out with what they can have and what's sometimes maybe not toxic, sometimes what's not edible, the animals will really benefit from that because it allows them to have cover. It allows them to show natural behaviours, whether that is doing the throwing around and breaking it up, taking it as bedding. For the animal's point of view, that really improves them. And it's providing the animals other things in that enclosure that may join come in. You know, there is natural things around enclosures. So some of the enclosures that we work with at the minute are quite natural. So you've got your hawthorns, you've got your willows in there. And I look at them sometimes and there's lichens on the side, there's spiders, there's a wren, there's a robin. Things have moved into the habitats and they should be allowed to stay there because we are all working for the same reason. That is to preserve things it doesn't have to be preserving the animals just in that enclosure it can be in the wider scale of things at the minute in in the park um we've got willow herb which is just coming to the end of its season it's drooping it's falling down and it looks like it is dead on the ground but actually the animals might use that for bedding but there's other insects in and around that as well so it does also play a part in that so enclosure design for me is a really important part and i spent a lot of time looking at enclosures Every time a keeper walks past it, I'm sure they do the same thing. And I'm looking and thinking what we can do, what could work, what might not work. And it's just testing out things. But planting for me is important. That That's why I think you've got your husbandry covered and you've got some of your native conservation covered. Totally. A really nice angle to look at. And I'm sure uh, the listeners are, are soaking it all in bit by bit. Now, the, the the last bit before we move on to from this episode into a whole new realm, and that is some advice. I've given You've obviously given some advice about moving for the job. Advice for simply someone coming into the industry or, or currently in the industry from a zookeeper point of view. Do you have a little gem to give anyone from, from your journey so far? I like think I'm quite patient. I, I'm sometimes not like that. 
Um, but most of the time, overall, I'm quite patient. It is key because your animals don't always do things straight away. You need to step back, just take it easy, let them do what they need to do, and come back another day if need be. Patience doesn't just have to be with your animals. It can be with your job as well. A lot of the time, you do get frustrated with certain things. It might just take over. But if you have got patience, some things can be overridden and then you can move on. So patience is the big thing for me being positive because that is who I am and without that positivity then you can't do your job in my in my point of view I couldn't do my job and I'm sure lots of other people will be the same you need to always look forward keep on with what you're doing patience positivity and don't lose sight of what you wanted so you can easily get put through something and it may just change your your mind on stuff but if you've got a message already ingrained in your head this is what i want this is what i'd like to do then stick with it because it will hopefully work out in the end totally totally some really really great advice and that leads us perfectly into the big questions now as our listeners and yourself josh will probably know by now the big questions will be delving into a few of the hot topics in the industry and hopefully we'll get a few answers along the way so the first one is you know, we all know that this current role, the zookeeping role at whatever level, is no longer a one-dimensional thing. You know, we're required to be a whole bundle of things from nutritionist to welfare officer to simply educationist and so on. So with it, what do you currently feel is the largest challenge as a zookeeper? And if it's even a thing, how have you learned to overcome it? The biggest thing being and right at the start of the career of being a zookeeper is being able to afford it. Being in a point where I was able to move out, it didn't mean that I had all the money available to me to do things. Like I said, I did have to work jobs to be able to do it. So this was even before I started full-time work in zookeeping. I had to get to the point where I was a student and have some of the, the income which was coming in funded by me. It meant that I could go to visit zoos. It meant that I could go to conferences and it meant that I could go to volunteer. So... It isn't always possible for people to get on and do it. And it does make me really sad that other people can't miss out on this because I was lucky because I had a family who were able to be there for me. And when I didn't have always the income, they were able to back me up. But it was a lot of the time about being able to plan ahead, get my funding involved. And I'm sure people will be in the same position. You are sometimes not able to afford things to do. So it is such a challenge. And it, I know it drags on now to through the years and with the cost of living, it is just as bad. But being right at the start of the career, that, that for me was the biggest hurdle. Moving down south from a place that isn't that expensive to live in compared to down south where it was a big challenge for me. I'm sure keepers are working really hard across the country and they will have had something similar. You often will have to go to somewhere else to do a job. I know there's people that have been in the collections that they're from, and that is that is okay. You can you can do that from home, um, but I didn't have that possible option, so I had to move out and move on. So that for me is the first point. And also bear in mind burnout, because it's very, very easy to carry on and to do more and to do more and to do more, and it becomes you have to balance um, without it, that you're not going to be able to do your job. And it's taken me years to even get to the point of saying that because I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. I'll carry on. No, I've, I've been burnt out plenty, but I have to balance. And it is 
taking nutrition, giving my points where my mind is stable and exercise. And I know they're really easy to say, but to do it is another thing. When you come in after a hard day of working out in your job, you don't always want to do that. But for me, that is what keeps me stable and and is big question because a lot of the time, if you just want to be a zookeeper, you go, I'll be all right. I'll be a zookeeper. I'll enjoy my day. But there is life outside work that you have to think of how am I going to manage that as well totally and you're already jumping the gun Josh you're helping me out massively and that's because the second question links to exactly what you've just talked about and that is we're all encouraged by our workplaces to have that good home and work life relationship it's easier said than done like you're saying it's not as easy as just going yep sure when I leave work that is it I will go home and watch some TV and forget about it all. Unfortunately, that's not the case with animals. It does follow you home. You do care about your animals. You set you, I mean, most of the time, most of us see them more than our families. So naturally, you can't get them out of your head. So the question I've got for you with this, Josh, is well-being being key, especially in zookeeping, like you've alluded to, is it possible to create that balance between the two? Or is it simply the inevitable that it's just going to be with you? You do have it, and it is there you know that you're always going to have it. Work involves animals which are living. They're not on a computer where they just switch off at the end of the day. So it is is quite a hard thing to do. But I found it is possible when you get involved with something else. So I try and go home every night and whether that be don't do anything else or I do another task, but I switch off for at least an hour or so at the end of the day. It's also... When I drive home, because I've got a little bit of a journey, so I get a time just to reflect on what's happened in the day. I go through the process. I, I go through all the things. That padlock's locked. That animal's fine. And then I think, that's it. I've switched off from work. So when I get home, I've got that hour or so just to relax and to do what I need to do. But when I've got my days off, I try to do things as well. So I take walks and I, I go places and I take myself out of, out of work so there's not there's nothing there and when I've been in different collections and I've lived in other places it's been trying to find somewhere which is a nice space for me to walk so I had river that I used to walk down um, in Somerset and I'd go there every week and it just was so nice to hear the running water and it is just a simple little thing but it plays a big part in my mental health because you're out in a natural environment and it stays with you. You can carry on then for the rest of your day being quite stable without worrying too much about work. I know there is things which you will do and it will always be like that. But there is a, a chance for you to switch off. Don't get overwhelmed and don't get too tired. Um, I switch off after a couple of days. So when you go on holiday, that is really the time for me where I just go, all right, there's other things going on and I move on to that. Totally. Some really... Really great advice there. And I think it's a, a very prominent thing in the industry in the modern day. So, you know, some really great stuff to take away for everyone. Now, the, the next one I've got for you then, Josh, moving on to, we're getting through these quite well. So we'll see how we get with this one. And that is in the UK, we have some of the largest quantity of zoos in such a small location in, in here in the UK across. And we're all in it for the same reasons, or at least we hope we are with conservation, education, enhancing our animals' welfare and so on. So with all of that, being in the same aspects, being in with the same goals, we should be there and we are there to educate our public, to get our messages across for conservation and, and simple education. 
do you feel that we are currently engaging and inspiring enough as a collective on this level or do we still have work to do there's always more work to be done some places can offer a better deal for what we should have like they could be more involved and more to show people's opinions and thoughts change through the years Um, and as they move on we should have updates um, we should operate in different ways. There is always more to be done, and that is right from the top all the way down to the keepers at the bottom to volunteers. There should be lots of things that we can all do to change. We we do operate in a way which we, we're there, we're in front of people. So zookeepers are often the first line when people get to them and they guess have the questions to us. Sometimes it might be our specialist area, sometimes it's not. And we can give our voice and we can show that we are actually just people like them and that we're doing our best and we're trying hard. There's more to be done, whether that be through the conservation, through the welfare, but sometimes that might not be necessarily like a simple question and answer. And I I don't think everyone has the answers for all those things yet. As we move on through the years, you're going to see things change and probably more things brought in with legislation. So we can look forward to that. But for now, I feel like as long as we're putting the message across, and that we're showing that we are doing things, that is a good first step because we're not the zoos of the past. We've moved on and things are different, especially even just in the generation that change has gone through um, through 30 years of change and we're at the position we are now. Absolutely, absolutely. And this leads to the last question of the big questions and you've touched on it how, you know, we're, we're in it together and it will hopefully progress on. But at a keeping level... Do you feel, and it's quite a basic question with such a large scope for it, but do you feel we're collaborating enough at a keeping level or is there improvement needed even at that level? We could uh, be more inclusive. Uh, There's options for younger keepers and less experienced keepers maybe because when you come into the industry, you've got a lot of people here knowledgeable, but sometimes if you're a new person in that, you maybe don't feel involved or you feel a bit overwhelmed by it. So I think being more inclusive for those, whether that be age brackets or being just you've moved in from a different industry, there should be more options and there should be more inclusive inclusive work that can be done there. And I went to conference when I was young and I, I went without knowing anyone there and I just got over the hurdle of being new and it was fine. It was absolutely fine. It was not a problem there. I really enjoyed it. But it's the fact that I had to get over that hurdle. So being young, you do have to take steps maybe not as always as comfortable as you you hope it would be. It is something which we could all help with. We're we're in the same work, so we should be able to help the guests. We should be able to help other team members as well. And I myself would like to join in more. I often get so involved and blindsided by what I'm doing is that I forget actually there's other things and other keepers doing work out, out elsewhere. And maybe I should be more involved in that take a bit more time to think about it absolutely absolutely now i was about to say you smashed the big questions and we're through but i'm going to give our listeners one bonus question i think and it links in perfectly to you and what you've alluded to throughout this whole episode so far and that is you know the the moving for the role the role as a whole it it can be expensive at the start you know money troubles they can be a, a quite a large part of this industry to a certain degree especially here in the uk with it and anyone who knows you, Josh, um, will know that you have a, have a slight side hustle on the side. Um, and I, I won't allude to it. You're the man to talk to about this. But I guess for anyone who's 
who's thinking maybe that they need a little bit extra money or they're struggling a bit and they need something to just keep their mind occupied on the side. And they're thinking about, I guess, what I've alluded to being a side hustle. Not what can they do, but what have you done, Josh? What is it that you've you've installed and, and continue to do with your family today? I run Miguel Realm and that is a zero waste online shop. It's all about sustainability and we try to bring products for our online shop, which are meeting certain criteria. So that would either be plastic free, they're working in a sustainable way, or they're helping wildlife. And we do our online shop with a little bit on the side where we say donation goes out with every product sold to wildlife conservation. So we do a wildlife trust, and that's our local wildlife trust. That would be the Tees Valley Wildlife Trust. And we also have started helping out this year with the Wildlife Sanctuary. And we've, we are a small little online shop. We're not anything big. And it's not about making lots of profits because there isn't that. We, we are just about making sure that we keep going by offering things out to people. And we've got things that are simple, like gifts, like candles. We've got other things like preserves, locally made stuff. And then moving on to more things which are zero waste and plastic free, which are for more people that are interested in doing that because there is a small group of people that are wanting to be more plastic free, but it's about the way that these things are made as well. So we're buying stuff uh, that have been sustainably made, whether that be in the UK or in Europe. And we try and put it all on our online shop to showcase that you don't have to go to the shops, buy presents that are covered in plastic that aren't going to be recyclable. And it's just about offering something else to people. So I started this during lockdown and I always wanted to have a side hustle. I wanted to get to the point where I had something else because it wasn't just for my job. It was more the fact that I wanted to show that it didn't just all mean about animals because being a zookeeper, you are in, in your job and, and it is all about those animals there. But I was interested was actually, could I do anything else? Could I be something else as well? So I thought I'll try this this business that I had an idea of during lockdown and it worked really well. So because people couldn't go out and go, go to the shops, they bought stuff online and it sort of went from there. Like I said, it's not a big profit business. I am just ticking by, making sure that I keep it running, keep offering out donations to wildlife charities as well because I want to help conservation in the UK. I want to stop some of the plastic waste and I myself really like sustainable things so whenever I go anywhere I'm looking for that so I'm sure there are people listening now who are just the same we get people who are customers now that are regular customers and they buy things periodically when they need them or when they want a gift um, and that's what it's about really small scale keeps my, keeps me well occupied so when I'm not in the zoo that's what I'm usually doing yeah some cracking stuff and Obviously, uh, Zookeeping 101, very appreciative. You go down in history being our first giveaway on the site as well. So uh, the podcast is, is uh, yeah, almost uh, made history with yourselves as well, which is pretty cool. So, no, um, some amazing stuff. And I think that embodies what keeping's about. It's about making that difference on an individual scale as much as a, a collective scale. So, no, some really, really great words. And what a great way to conclude the big questions. You'll be happy to say, Josh, you've finished it off. You've concluded. You've smashed them out of the park. And we now move on to the quick fire round of this podcast episode. Now, as our listeners will know, and I'm sure you know as well, Josh, this can either fly by 
or erupt into conversation. So let's see how we get on. And the first one, it's quite a simple one, but we'll see how we get on. And that is, what is your favourite animal? My favourite animal would probably be otters. I like otters, uh, as I've mentioned before. I also like foxes. I like the idea that these animals are really intelligent. They're mammals which uh, are not always easy to see. And that's being in the zoo or out in the wild. You don't always get a chance to see them. Saying that, I went to York recently and there was a fox in the middle of the street. Um, and that just shows then that these animals can live amongst humans as well. So the intelligence level there and the ability to live alongside us and the way that they just keep on going, I think that's what makes it uh, probably really interesting to me. There's otters living in the River Tyne. Uh, there's otters near my workplace as well. And sometimes they come up to the park and we get the call to say that the otters have escaped. It's not our otters, but they are animals which are are really fun and uh, I like the way that they work. Yeah, great, great choice. Now, the next one we've alluded to throughout this episode, and that is, what is your top tip for mental health and well-being? It's just about exercise, keeping your mind busy. I like to go for runs. It just frees the mind up. It doesn't have to be anything major. I'm not looking to do marathons. All I want to do is to get out of the house and to, to think about other stuff. So it just takes everything out of your mind, uh, makes you focus on other stuff. And of course, it's just going to keep you fit as well because zookeeping, it, it can be quite a hard, hard job if you're, if you're in the right uh, industry part of it. But it isn't always because you go to, like, for instance, if I go up a mountain, I'm not usually climbing up a hill every day in my work, in my workplace. So exercise is different in, in every point. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so the next one then is very left field, but we'll give it a go. What is your favourite film? Well, I thought I wouldn't answer that one. I'd change it a bit because I like TV shows. I prefer shorter episodes than films. I can't sit down for very long. So I'm always on the go. So I prefer TV shows because they're short and something that's a comedy. So really easy for me to say my favourite TV show would be Taskmaster. I sit and watch it every week when I can. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good choice. I'll let you have that one, Josh. Very well put. Now, the next one then is something that hopefully is a fairly easy one to do. And that is what is the best part of the industry? I'm sure you've already had this answer. The animals are the best part of the industry. They are the things which keep us ticking over. And they are the things which we're there for. So I see the faces on the members of the public. And I also go in every day knowing that I'm going to see them. And that's the best part of the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, then the next one could take you absolutely anywhere in the globe. And that is what zoo would you like to visit globally and why? I like the old zoos. And the reason I say that is because I'm fascinated in how they worked. Looking at old photographs of London Zoo, seeing the archives of ZSL, that really is interesting. Um, and I like some of the older zoos and, and things like Prague Zoo, Berlin Zoo. I'm interested in, in those and how they've run in the past. But I do like the look of the German zoos because I haven't been to German zoos before. So any of them. And I know there's a lot out there which have got some really cool exhibits. And, and I'd like to go out and explore more. Absolutely. As we all would, for sure, for sure. No, some great shouts. Now, the next one then, and this is delving a bit to yourself. What one trait or attribute inside yourself has allowed you to really push on throughout your career and get, get you to where you are today? I'd say... Trying my hardest is probably the thing which I do every day. And I know that I I finish the day saying that I've tried my hardest. I've accomplished what I can. Um, that's, that's the big main thing. But just keeping positive, 
if you don't have that positivity, then you would probably wouldn't be able to get through your day. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, this next one, I struggle a lot with this. I say it every episode, and that is, if you wasn't a zookeeper, what would you be? I think if I wasn't a zookeeper, I would be a warden of a reserve, or more likely at the moment, an assistant warden somewhere. Very good shout, very good shout. Okay, well, the next one then is... A reflection of one of the previous questions, and that is, what part of the industry do you still feel we need to improve within? Being able to accept change. There is lots of things which have already moved on, and some things maybe are not as up to date in the zoo world. Being able to bring in more tech. Some zoos are already well ahead, others are still living in the 20th century, and tech is there to be used and to be helpful. It's not something we should be scared of, and really, it is such a big part of modern life, so... Having tech involved, whether that is machinery, helping out people, like, for instance, having having the support on your back or having the tech to, to take your temperatures. There is things which zoos have already got and things which zoos should have. And also listening to ideas because a lot of thoughts are out there and only some of the ideas are actually listened to. Yeah, great, great answer. Now we're nearly there. We're powering through. We're on that second to last question. And that is delving right into your, your realm. And that is, who within this industry is your idol? So I'll give one name, and that's Darren Beasley. He's such a big character and he's been helpful to me to get me to be where I am. He is a big part of Longleat and uh, one of the reasons why I came down to Longleat. But there's lots of people that have been able to help me and support me. And that's keepers in collections, every place I've been to and also family as well. So... I'm not just going to give um, all the names because there's a lot of people there. But yeah, all the friends, all the family have helped me get where I am. Yeah, rightfully so. Very well put. And this leads to the final question. And that is, Josh, I'm going to ask you to sum up this whole industry in only three words. That was quite hard because I was looking at words with double barrel, seeing if I could put them in. Um, but I decided to go with educational, demanding, and purposeful yeah yeah I, I totally agree three very fitting words and that is drawing us to a close sadly now for myself and the listeners i cannot thank you enough josh for spreading your words of wisdom you're sharing your stories and um talking all things taxa with us um, it's been a real pleasure thank you thanks for having me and hopefully we'll get you on again very very soon okay bye then bye and that concludes this week's episode what an amazing guest and an amazing time we had now, if you have enjoyed it, please do subscribe on Instagram, Facebook, or our podcast channels to Zookeeping 101. I can't express how thankful I am personally from a fellow zookeeper to have you along for this quite amazing journey, learning about everything zookeeper. Otherwise, please subscribe. Thank you for listening and see you very, very soon. Bye.